one of the first links was a death certificate, a scanned PDF of a Nazi German death certificate. Welcome to Heal Story. Heal Story is a global community of storytellers remembering the profound and healing connection to their own lineage. My name is Daniel Noahand Roth, and I was born in Albany, New York, in upstate New York on the Hudson River, to a uh, Jewish family that had escaped the Holocaust and an old, old American family that's been in the U.S. for the 1500s, and now I live in New York City. The story I want to share is about my father's family and some things that occurred during the World War II period. My father's family were Jewish. He was the first in his family to be born in the United States. All the rest, my grandparents on that side, were born in Europe. And they had escaped the Holocaust, you know, slimly escaping. Many of the family died in the Holocaust. In much of Europe today, this is the setting brought to pass by the heedless greed of Nazi overlords who pillaged the country and brought down upon its people the terrible burden of war. Cities like this in Czechoslovakia, small hopes have survived the hell of Buchenwald and Dachau. When I was a little kid, there was a photo album that I remember finding in my grandparents' study, pretty old, that I found when I was rummaging around as a kid, you know, just being nosy, really. Found this photo book, and I just remember looking at photos by myself in my grandparents' study, and I didn't know what I was looking at, but they were black and white photos, and, you know, showed my grandfather in a few of them, and then showed these very bleak photos of, like, a dog that was totally emaciated and some, some really skinny people. Bear witness to the horrors of the torture factories where death was turned out in wholesale lots. The corpses multiplied in horrible geometric progression, emptied of all humanity. From these stacks of human cordwood, the fires of the crematoriums and the communal graves were fed. What I learned later was those were photos my grandfather had taken when he was a medic in the U.S. Army and had been part of liberating one of the concentration camps called Mauthausen. I think that was kind of the beginning of my awareness of some other story behind what had happened in my dad's family that I, I became curious about and just didn't really understand and you know, learned about in school. I mean, we all learn about the Holocaust in school and a lot of conversations in Jewish communities revolve around the Holocaust. That was more of the beginning of me being curious about my family's relationship to the Holocaust.
exactly why one day I was in the back of a friend's car and we were we were driving on a road trip. We must have been talking about family history. And I just decided in that moment to Google search my great-grandfather's name. So I poked into Google sitting in the back of my back car, Armin Roth and Theresienstadt, because that's pretty much all I really knew. And it blew me away. One of the first links was a death certificate, a scanned PDF of a Nazi German death certificate that confirmed my great-grandfather had died at Theresienstadt and had a lot of other information. Couldn't read it. It was all in German. I don't know German. Within the next like week or two, I figured out a whole bunch of information from that. You know, Google Translate, and I think I sent it to a relative who speaks German. And there was more information in that document than anyone in my family knew about my great-grandfather. That moment became a kind of gateway that opened up, that changed my life pretty profoundly, changed my family's life in a certain way. Because what it said to us was where he was born, my great-grandfather. He was born on the border of Hungary and Serbia, and it had his date of birth, so it had his birth down. It had information that he was married at the time of his death, and that he was married to a second wife. So he had a second wife that nobody in my family knew about. It said what he had died from, it's, it's a basically heart failure, which is, you know, broad net for all sorts of reasons why someone might die at a concentration camp. And it actually had the building listed, the address where he died. So within a few days, you know, of getting all that information and kind of taking in all of that, it became very clear to me that I was going to go to the concentration camp and visit on his birthday. So I was going to go and honor him on his birthday, not his day of death, but on his birthday. It felt a little bit more uplifting to me. And I was going to say Kaddish, which is the Jewish prayer for the dead, where he had died. And his birthday was May 15th. So I was going to go in May. I can't remember exactly all the timing worked out, but like I could see that I could do that. I could get to Prague in May. In the process of making those plans, a therapist of mine, who's also an herbalist, pointed out that in herbal traditions, sunflowers are a really powerful plant herbally to support people in, with collective trauma. So she actually gave me a tincture of some sunflower essence that she said might help just kind of on an emotional level while I was traveling and kind of dealing with all this. So I got myself over there 
went by myself and that felt important. And stayed in Vienna for a few nights. I got on a train and went to Prague. Within 24 hours, I was on the bus to, uh, to the concentration camp today since that to visit. When I got to the town, got off this bus and I was actually feeling kind of disoriented, emotionally disoriented, kind of just unsure. Like I had actually followed through with this crazy thing that started in the back of that car, Googling my great-grandfather's name and finding his death certificate and now it's in the concentration camp. Now, what's strange about Tereshinstad is that it's nothing like a concentration camp that anybody would picture in their mind because most people have seen, like, photos of Auschwitz or, like, these famous death camps that were built from scratch to be a death camp. Tereshinstad is actually a medieval town that was built as kind of a fortified small city that the Nazis turned into a ghetto concentration camp. They used it for propaganda to like convince the Red Cross and international aid organizations that they were treating Jews really well and actually putting them in concentration camps like for their own well-being. So the town is still actually a town. It's like there's parts of Warsaw, Poland, and other of these cities that were kind of ghettos, and aspects of concentration camp life were kind of built into those ghettos. But Tereshinstadt thought it was kind of a strange combination because there was a jail inside the town from way, way back, you know, 1800s, 1700s. And so that jail part of the town was this kind of outdoor prison area, and that was the real concentration camp. But then there was other parts of the town that were like a public square, old uh, apartment buildings, and from like the 1700s or 1800s. So you show up there now, and it's a town again. I didn't really fully understand that. So I showed up, and we get off, and like, there's kids running around. There's a park it's actually kind of a very cute town. I kind of wandered off the bus, and I don't speak Czech, too, so I'm just kind of in an unfamiliar language area. I just started wandering around, and I found myself wandering into this small little park. I just lied down in the grass for quite a long time. I uh, I lied down on the grass and I basically just started to pray. After a while, I noticed that right next to where I was lying down were a bunch of purple clover flowers. And I started picking purple clover flowers and I started weaving a wreath. And so, I don't know, within a half hour, I braided this wreath of purple clover. I don't think I've ever made a wreath before. And then I started to feel a little bit better. I was starting to get grounded again, basically. I started wandering around this park, 
It turns out there was one of those peace poles, like the Japanese have put up kind of Buddhist-inspired peace poles all around the world. I was 15 feet away from this peace pole that somebody had put in the town. Then I walked a little further in that park. There was like a grove of trees, and in the middle of the grove of trees was this circle of rocks, very large boulders, and a totally perfect circle of identical trees around that. And I actually found some pieces of things in the park, and I just made this little mandala in the middle of this grove of trees. And somebody came over and explained to me that groves of trees like that in towns like this was like the original council circle of decision-making for like ancient governance. That that's what that represented was like some sort of old council meeting site. So some very odd things, like meaningful, very unpredictable things started to happen. We are so grateful that you've taken some of these precious minutes of your day to join us and begin this journey into ancestral healing. After you enjoy the episode, we invite you to become an official part of this new Heal Story community. Find us on patreon.com backslash heal story. Help us build a storytelling platform that honors all of our ancestors. Thanks so much again, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. And then I walked to what was the museum of the Holocaust. There's like a Holocaust museum. And I asked if there was a historian on duty that I could talk to about my great-grandfather. And it turns out there was. And they brought me back to this room and this nice Czech gentleman sat down to me in his office, surrounded by books, and just kind of an academic historian type guy. I showed him a printout of my great-grandfather's death certificate. He was like, oh yes, I've seen many of these. And he pulls up a database and finds the file in the database and starts telling me all sorts of information. He translates it very precisely. It's a form, like a bureaucratic form, you know, with blanks that get filled in. And so he tells me what the significance of everyone is. So he explained, like, oh, well, this means that he was assigned a job in this part of the town. And this line means that he was in this building. That's where his bunk was. And this is his wife's name, and this is her number. So it was all this information. He was, like, deciphering it for me. And at some point, he looks in some things, and he tells me that my great-grandfather's wife survived him, but she was then deported to Auschwitz from there which meant that she very likely was killed in Auschwitz. And I think the turning point of that conversation was that he said he could show me on a map and I could walk to the building where my great-grandfather died. And then he was able to tell me that because he died in that building, his body would have been taken in the year that he died, because things would change over the years, that if he died in that building on that day, in that year, this is how they dealt with bodies then. And so his body would have been taken to this particular building, would have been burned, 
his ashes would have been put in this particular place because that's where they were putting ashes at that particular time. And so he literally showed me on the map. He didn't come with me, but he showed me on a map of the town. I could go to this building and then this building. I could literally follow my great-grandfather's story that way. So I did. So I got to the building after walking through the town a little bit. And, you know, this is just cars and kids and people going to work in this town. And I'm just kind of walking through the town. And I get to this building, and it's, like, recently painted. People are living in it. It's probably been renovated in the inside, I'm sure. It's totally unbelievable to me what's happening at this point, the fact that I can have so much information about this whole scene. So I don't really want to hang out there too long, but what I do is I actually left a photograph. I have one photograph of my great-grandfather. It's actually my great-grandfather and great-grandmother, Regina and um, Armin. And I had made a photocopy of that, and I was carrying it with me, but I decided in that moment to leave it on the door. I just left it on the door of the building. And then I can kind of continue my walk around the town and went and visited, you know, the building where they cremated the bodies and a morgue where they stored bodies. And then I visited like the area where they put all the ashes and there's like now a, it's kind of a cemetery now, like a, a memorial. And I learned the Jewish prayer for the dead, which is called Kaddish. I was actually reciting it throughout this whole time. just So at this point, I'm just kind of in a, a kind of mournful prayer um, as I'm walking around the town. I can't remember, you know, how that day ended, but I, I knew the bus schedule and I just decided at a certain point, like my time there that day was, was done. And so I left, went back to Prague, continued to have, you know, some interesting experiences in Prague, met some interesting people. A day or so before I was going to head back to the U.S., I had decided I wanted to go back one more time. I think I had been in Prague for about like five days or something total, six days. But I had gotten some idea throughout that time because of that herbalist I had mentioned who had mentioned how sunflowers were really powerful plant in terms of helping healing collective trauma. I had, I'd been taking this like sunflower tincture the whole trip just as a kind of emotional support. I got this idea. Well, why don't I go back to the concentration camp and plant sunflowers all over the camp? And I actually met these two women that at my hostel, you know, we just got to talking and they were really curious 
And they had heard about this concentration camp. And when I told them I was going to go back, they said they would love to join me. And then I proposed to them, I was like, would you help me plant all these sunflower seeds? And they were totally excited about that. So it turned out right across the street from our hostel was a gardening supply store. It's right across the street. So I went in there one after this idea popped in my head and they had like five different types of sunflower seeds. So I like picked a bunch of different types of sunflower seeds, 20 packets of them. And the day before I was going to leave for the U.S., we went back to Tereshinstad. We just pretty much just walked around the whole town. We walked through the jail area, which was is kind of now a, more of a memorial area. It has a lot more information about the Holocaust and kind of some of the atrocities that happened there. And we just planted sunflowers. We sometimes we were crying. Sometimes, you know, we were just like supporting each other because it was pretty intense for them too. It was intense, intense for me, but we just kind of kept going until we planted all the sunflower seeds we had probably a couple hundred easily throughout this whole town, through the jail area. The very last thing that I wanted to do was to return to the building where my great-grandfather died. Just to say goodbye, just kind of bring some closure to the whole experience before we jump back on the bus. You know, it's been an exhausting day. It's been an emotional day. We're walking back down the street towards the building. I'm ahead of the two women that are with me I'm basically kind of guiding us through the town back to where the building was. And I get towards the door. The door is open, which it hadn't been open the first day. And on the door, like hanging on the exact door where I left the photograph of my great-grandfather, is literally a giant sunflower. I was speechless the two women kind of came up behind me and noticed it and they they immediately thought like I had told somebody we were going to come back and plant sunflowers so that oh that's so great they left something to honor this little project I was like I'm sorry I nobody knew what we were doing today like nobody knew And so it just took them a little while longer to just be totally overwhelmed with that moment. You know, I think for me, it made sense in some cosmic way that I never could have planned and never could have imagined. The kicker was, as we were standing there, kind of perplexed in awe of the whole situation, this cute little dog runs out from the door, looks up at me and is like, wants to play. It was this strange kind of feeling like, oh, I'm being greeted. And in some strange way, and in a really beautiful way, it felt like a relationship that had been restored or something like that. We didn't talk much on the bus ride home. I haven't seen them since. I sometimes feel like the two people who were on that trip with me, it was like these angels just kind of emerged 
to be there through that whole process. But they're not. They're just like, one's a mom and one's a school teacher and they're Brazilian and just, they were on vacation, like in Prague. And, but on that day, it just was, uh, it was a profound feeling of reunion. It's been with me ever since. I've actually gotten a large tattoo of a sunflower on my back to help me remember that connection, to just always have that awareness of that connection to my ancestors, to that story. And it had a huge impact on my whole family. I've told that story now, told it to my father when I came back. We cried together. I made a presentation of it and shared it with high school students who were learning about the Holocaust. I've recorded it and made a PowerPoint and put images to it and shared that with my whole family. And it just became a whole new layer of conversation and depth to my life. And it was just a tremendous healing. It's empowered me and helped me connect to my ancestors in a way that I never could have imagined when I found that death certificate on Google. It was around that time that I really began to pray in ways that acknowledged my ancestors more. I literally would just say their names more often in my daily prayers. It was really the beginning of like rebuilding a, or repairing or remembering things that had been forgotten. That we have choices about how we relate to the past, no matter how traumatic it is. It's still with me today. So it did have a very profound impact on career choices after that, on uh, relationship choices, on how I pray, how I think about my own family. When I feel my family struggling about things in the day-to-day -day relationship, tug of war in families at times. It just provided like a bigger framework. Like, oh, okay, so this is all happening in this bigger picture. And it like widened the frame. I think the most important thing to pass on to my children and my grandchildren and whoever else follows this generation is just that these stories are a choice to carry on. We have to choose to remember these stories. We have to choose to listen and to be curious and it's not assumed that they'll be carried on. We have to actively keep that fire alive. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope this story has helped you reflect on the potential for healing within your own lineage. If you have a story you would like to share on the Heal Story podcast, visit us at www.healstory.com. This is our pilot season of Heal Story, and we need your support to keep growing this storytelling platform. At patreon.com backslash Heal Story, you can learn about all the special perks of becoming a subscriber. 
from the private discussion groups to early access to new episodes, powerful interviews with thought leaders in the ancestral healing world, and much more. Join this movement and let's make all of our ancestors proud. Thank you and take care.